Merry Christmas. This is the Sunday before Christmas, and I, I do want to thank you guys for hanging out with us. I know we have a lot of people gone because of uh, they're going home for Christmas, and uh, for those who are sticking around, we love having you here. We really do. I want to tell you what God's been doing over the past couple of weeks and just what uh, the money that you are giving uh, is going for. Over the past uh, two weeks, we've given away over $3,000 uh, to people who uh, are just in need. Uh, we have a lot of families, either inside our church or outside of our church, who um, is just, uh, they're, they're struggling. And uh, we want to be able to help meet their needs, and I'm just grateful for you guys and how you give. Also want to celebrate with you something. Uh, for those, as many of you know, uh, we've been uh, collecting gift cards for needy families here at Northeast High School. And we've been doing that for really for the past month. And you guys gave over $600 in gift cards so that we were able to give... Students who go to Northeast High School here, and uh, and I'll tell you one of them. As you've heard, I've uh, recently had a house fire and they lost everything. So when we handed those uh, gift cards to the principal here at Northeast, he started crying. He said, "Thank you so very much." So uh, that's you guys, and I'm just so grateful uh, to serve along you with you and among you and uh, through many of you. I call friends and others I don't call friends. It's just because you don't know me yet. So anyway, all right, we're in week four of our series entitled God With Us, and I'm so excited. If this is your first time here, it's such a great time that you've actually showed up. And uh, let me kind of tell you where we've been over the past four weeks, because we're at the end of this series. And one of the things that we do here at One Church is we preach in series, and we'll actually pick a subject, and we will talk about that subject from five or six different areas and different viewpoints. And then when all, you know, pretty much when I've extinguished everything I have to say about it, then we move on, and we'll go to another subject. And what we've been looking at this past Christmas season is this whole idea of Emmanuel God with us. In fact, many times in church world, we throw out words that we don't know the meanings of, and Emmanuel is one of those words. Uh, it's a Hebrew word, and it literally means God with us. And the first week we looked at the whole idea of the power of God being with us, and that really is what Christmas is all about. It's that God uh, actually shows up and he becomes incarnate, and that's a word we're going to unpack a little bit today. It's kind of a churchy word. But it literally means that he puts on flesh, God does, and he comes and he is with us. Second week, we talked about a God who is for us and how when we couldn't, God could, and he did so that we could. So there's this whole idea that many times we fill in the blank of God blank us, that many times we say that God is against us, that God is angry with us, with us. God, uh, he, maybe he resents us, he's disappointed us. And many times that's how we view God, but nothing could be further from the truth. Because as we've unpacked in that second week, such a critical week, that God is actually for you, and he's for me. And I love that, that when we could do nothing, God could do everything, and he did, so that we could. In week three, last week, we talked about the whole idea that God wants to work through us. And we looked at this whole idea of light in the Christmas story and light into the entire Bible and how God calls us to be the light of the world. Now, let me tell you today. Today, we're talking about the preposition in, that God wants to be in us that God wants to be in us. Here's our big idea, and here's where we're going to be going throughout the entire morning. Here it is. It says this, God wants to be in your life and in every area of your life. Let's say that together. God wants to be in your life and in every area of your life. God wants to be involved in everyday things 
throughout your life. Whether it be in your family, whether it be in your job situation, your career, whether that be in your finances, how you treat friends and in relationships, God wants to be involved in every area of your life. He doesn't want to be an afterthought. He wants to be involved in every area, and he wants to set up shop in you, get this, forever. Forever. And to many of us, if you've grown up in church, or maybe maybe you didn't even grow up in church, but this whole idea that God wants to be in you, you know, it doesn't excite you anymore because it's such old hat. And you're like, okay, next. Okay, you got anything deeper, Chris? Can you get to some deeper teaching? Hang on. Because what we're going to be doing and unpacking today is we're going to be going all the way through the Old Testament, and we're going to go all the way up until the New Testament. We're going to see how God dealt differently with people before Jesus and how God deals differently in people's lives today because there is a huge difference. That there's this idea that God wants to be in you. But if you've grown up in church, you're like, okay, that doesn't really excite you, that whole idea of God living in me. But what's so amazing about the preposition in is that God living in us is a fairly recent idea. In fact, Jews living in the Old Testament could have never comprehended that God actually wanted to live in them and reside in them, in someone. That the God of the universe, yes, would not only be with, the God of the universe could not only be for, but the God of the universe, the one who spoke the stars into place, that that God actually wants to live in you and me in us would have been a mystery to the Jews living in the Old Testament. Today, I want to connect the dots of how God, this whole idea of God wanting to live in in you and me by looking at a few verses throughout the entire Bible. We're going to be turning a lot of different pages. Um, We're going to be a lot in the Old Testament. And, uh, but before we go there, I just want to start with the end in mind. I want to start with how God deals with you and I today in this whole mystery um, that we're going to be pushing back into the Old Testament. And it's going to be actually going to be in the book of Colossians. Now, again, if you're new to the whole Bible Christianity thing, there was this guy named Paul, and he wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament. And how Paul would do is he would go, uh, he, Paul, his name used to be Saul, and he was really against Jesus. And then he actually met Jesus, and his life turned around. And he had a really bad past, he had a really bad rap sheet, but God can use anyone who comes to know God. I just think that's really cool. That should just like, oh, like, just amazing, right? So God changed Saul's name to Paul, and Paul, literally, he wrote all of these letters, and he would go to, from town to town to town to town, and he would start churches. And he would show up, and he would go to, uh, you know, Rome, and he would start a church. And he would go to a place called Ephesus, and he would start a church. And he'd go to a, a place called Thessalonica, and he'd start a church. And then once he'd, he'd start, he'd stay there for a few months, and then he'd leave. And then he would write letters back to the churches that he started. So he wrote a first and second Thessalonians because he's writing to the church in Thessalonica. He's writing Philippians because he's writing to the church in Philippi. All right. Today, we're going to be looking his letter to Colossians because, again, there was a church started in Colossae. So this is in Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to be starting in verse 26. Uh, the scripture is going to be up on the screen. And we're going to start here, and we're going to end here. So, but let me show you today how God is, how God wants to work in you and through you and me. And this is what it says. 
The Word, Paul speaking of the Bible, contains the what? The mystery that has been hidden for many ages. That's a long time. So he's going to unpack this secret, this mystery that's been made, that's, that's really been hidden for many ages, but now it has been made known to God's people. God's people are people who are Christ followers, people like you and me. And again, if you don't believe the whole Bible Jesus thing, stick around, hang out with us enough, and you'll kind of understand kind of what we believe and how we tick, and all of us are not that weird. Um, But we're going to see Paul is getting ready to dig in to this mystery, a mystery that when you go back in the Old Testament, no one really knew about. Abraham didn't know what we're going to be talking about today. Noah didn't have a clue. Moses, yeah, he, he, he was able to talk to God face-to-face like a friend, um, but, but Moses didn't know what we're going to be talking about today. The wisest person who ever lived, Solomon, in all of his wisdom, could not fathom this mysterious idea that we're going to unpack today. Daniel didn't know this when he was in the lion's den. David didn't know this. But you and I, we can know this, and not only know this, but experience this. Look at what, it would, let's uncover the secret. Let's kind of open up the gift, if we would. Let's lift up the flaps, and let's look at and marvel at this secret, this new thing that God has chosen to do. Verse 27. God has chosen to make known to you the glorious riches of the what? Mystery. There it is. He has made it known among those who aren't Jews. And by the way, that's probably you and I. And here's what it is. What is it? It is Christ in you. That God actually wants to live in you. And this mysterious idea that Paul writes of God being in us, that it would have seemed so foreign to Moses or Daniel or David or Samson. It would have been so... Uh, mysterious to those who were living in the Old Testament because to the Jews living before Jesus, God didn't live in them. The idea uh, of, of God was that a God, he would show up every so often and he would do some really big, marvelous thing and he would work powerfully at certain times. But if you knew what was good for you, you kept your distance between you and God. God would show up and he would help certain people. God would show up and he would give certain people direction God would show up, and on very rare occasions, very rare occasions, God's Spirit would come and actually indwell that person and live in them briefly to give direction. But here, it was always temporary. Always temporary. He would, God would show up, and he would allow them, and they would write certain parts of the Bible. God's Spirit would show up and give something very specific, give them, equip them to do something, and then he would leave. God's spirit was always temporary. God's presence was always temporary. But for the most part, you kept your distance from God if you were a Jew living in the Old Testament because God is perfect and God is holy. And God kept his distance from you because you were imperfect and you were unholy. God living in me? (laughs) Not a chance. God living in you? Probably not. God and his spirit living in us, very rare. But let me show you some very specific, and I'm going to just fire out a lot of scriptures, all right? A lot of them. Let me just show you some very specific times where God's spirit would come on someone and then he would leave. 
Because remember, God's spirit was always temporary. God's spirit was always what? Temporary. 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 Remember that. All right? Now, God called a guy with a really weird name by the name of Othniel to judge and rule Israel. This is what Judges 3.10 says. The spirit of the Lord came on Othniel. So he became Israel's leader. So God's spirit shows up and he empowers this guy with a weird name to be a leader. All right, let's keep on going. Uh, Judges 6.34, about a guy named Gideon. A guy named Gideon fought and delivered God's people, the Israelites, from their enemy. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and gave Gideon what? Strength. So God's spirit showed up and he gave strength. All right, let's go to the next one. His name is Samson. Now, before we even go there, um, so what's, what was Samson known for? Hair, exactly right. Anybody else, what is Samson known for? Strength, all right, he kind of looked like me, all right? Um, why are y'all laughing? I, I wasn't supposed to be funny, all right? Uh, and now, here's the thing. I'm going to ask you a trick question, and don't answer it out loud. Okay, please don't, because you will probably be wrong, because it's a trick question. I'm showing you, showing you my cards. What, how did Samson get his strength? Now, most of you would say it was in his hair. He, he used Pantene Pro-V, right? But think about this. Uh, Jay Leto, I mean, he has long hair. He's not overly strong. Fabio, long hair. He, you know, he's not strong. Anybody know who Yanni is? Anybody else? There's like two of y'all in here. All right, me and y'all. Um, he ain't strong, right? Um, Axel Rose, that's probably the majority of the people besides Yanni. He's not strong. So what gave Samson his strong his strength. It wasn't his hair. Look at what Judges 14, 6 says. And, it, and the Lord's power began to strengthen Samson. All right? Samson received his power when God came upon him and God's spirit came upon him. Let me show you just a couple of quick things. Um, there's this time where Samson's like walking down the road and he surprises this lion. And this lion is going to come and jump and kill him. So let's look what happens. This is in Judges 14, 6. And at that moment, the what? Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon Samson, and he ripped the lion's jaws apart with his bare hands. When did Samson get his strength? When the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, all right? So, quick question then. How did Samson lose his strength? All right, some of you are going, he got his hair cut, right? Remember, it's not about his hair so much. Um, really, the whole hair thing was he made a vow to God, and God said, I don't want you to cut your hair. I need you to obey me. And if you obey me, then, then God's spirit will remain on you. But if you disobey, disobey me, then I'm going to remove my spirit. Well, guess what Samson did? He disobeyed God. He got his hair cut. So it really wasn't so much about his hair. It was about his obedience to God. And let's look at his downfall with a lady by the name of Delilah. All right, Judges 16, 19. Delilah got Samson to go to sleep on her lap. Then she called for a man to shave off the seven braids of hair that he had. So he probably had some dreadlocks. So a little bit of Marley thing going on. That's how, look at this, look at this. That's how she began to bring him under her control. And he wasn't strong anymore. Wow. This guy who had so much strength, who could literally, I mean, could rip anything apart, was brought down. By his own lust, we're going to see. Look at verse 20. She called out, Samson, Samson, the Philistines are attacking you. And he woke up from his sleep. 
He thought, I'll just go out like I did before. I'll shake myself free. But look at this last sentence. It's one of the most saddest sentences in the entire Bible. But he didn't know that the Lord had left him. Isn't that sad? You see, how Samson got his strength was because of God's presence would come in him and come upon him. But he disobeyed God, and he's going to get up, and he thinks he's going to just shake everything off. And he doesn't know that God's presence had left him. Because in Old Testament times, when you disobeyed God, God would remove his presence from you. It happened with Samson, and it happened, it happened with another leader of Israel. Israel's first king, a guy by the name of King Saul. God sent his presence into Saul to empower Saul to be a godly leader. Look at what it says in 1 Samuel eleven six. 6. Then the Spirit of God came powerfully upon Saul. God's Spirit comes into Saul's life so that he could lead well. And he looked, I mean, this dude looked amazing. Because as Israel's first king, even though he looked the part of king, many times he didn't act the part of king. You see, the reason why everybody chose him to be king and they kind of voted on it is because he stood head and shoulders above everyone else. You see, just because you may look like a leader doesn't make you a leader, does it? So here's the thing. God's presence, he puts God's presence in him, his spirit in him, to empower Saul. But God gave Saul some very specific things. I want you to do this, and then I want you to do this. And he disobeyed every single time. So because Saul disobeyed, God did what with his presence? He removed his presence. Look what it says in 1 Samuel 15, 26 and 16, 14. It says this. Since you have rejected the Lord's command... He has rejected you as king of Israel. Now the spirit of the Lord did what to Saul? Left him. Left him. You see, in that time, God's spirit was temporary. It was very rare that, God, that God's presence would show up individually on a person. Very, very rare. And if you did, it was always temporary. And if you disobeyed, many times he would remove his presence. So God's presence is pulled from Saul, and the prophet Samuel goes, and he anoints another king. A little kid who was probably a teenager had red hair, and he was a shepherd boy. Many of you know him as David. And he shows up on David. Samuel, the prophet Samuel shows up and anoints David's head with oil. In fact, this is what it says in 1 Samuel 16, 13. By the way, we just read 16, 12 where um, we, it, the, the God's presence was removed from Saul. Look at, look at this next verse. As David stood there among his brothers, Samuel, the prophet Samuel, took the flask of olive oil that he had, had, he had brought and anointed David with oil. And what they would do in that time, so if, when somebody was going to become king, they took this oil and, and they just they poured it over their head. And it was symbolic of saying that God's presence is on you and you are our next king. Now look at what the next verse, next uh, um, sentence says. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Left Saul, went into David so that the Spirit would guide David. But remember, God's Spirit in the Old Testament was God's Spirit permanent or what? Temporary, always temporary. 
Always temporary. Now, let's just kind of, just quickly, to tell you about, a little bit about David's life, and then we're going to jump back to Colossians. You see, David was a great king. He was a good king. In fact, many of you, if you grew up in Sunday school, maybe you went to VBS, David, he killed the big giant. Anybody remember his name? Goliath, very, very good, all right? David eventually becomes king. Saul dies. And David is a great king. But he had his hiccups, didn't he? He had some issues. In fact, some of you are here today, and you're thinking, you know what? I can't really go to church because you look around at some of these people, I can't be as good as they are. <laughs> we ain't that good. Right? Some of you, if you brought your purse, don't, don't, don't leave it out in the hallway because some of our people are jacked up, right? We're not as good as you think, you think we are. All of us have issues, and guess what? David had issues as well because what we're going to see is David, he had a problem with his eyes. In fact, if you're a guy here this morning, um, let me tell you something I do know about you. You struggle with your eyes. If you say, no, I don't, then you also struggle telling the truth. All right? I'm just going to be honest with you, all right? David had a lust problem. And he was on the, up on the top of his roof one night. And um, he looks down and, uh, over his kingdom and over somewhere. I'm just kidding, there's this lady taking a bath on the top of her roof. And he's going, you know, I, I know I should turn away, but I really don't want to, you know. And um, uh, he, he, just, he just starts staring. And then he, he gets his, uh, his servants. He says, hey, who is that? And they're kind of looking at David going, uh, should you be doing Who is that? Well, I think that's Bathsheba, I think is her name is. And I think she's Uriah's wife. Oh, I should have stopped it with David. <clears throat> right? All right? And he says, well, go grab her for me. So the servants go and ask Bathsheba to come. And uh, David and Bathsheba, um, they, uh, they have intercourse, and she gets pregnant. And uh, he's trying to hide the pregnancy. So he, he calls in uh, Bathsheba's wife, Uriah, who's out fighting for David. I mean, just how sick is this? He's out fighting David's wars. He gets uh, Uriah back, tries to get Uriah drunk in, for, so that he could go home and sleep with Bathsheba so that they could claim, hey, this is your kid. But Uriah, he was a person of integrity and character. He said, no, I'm not going to do it. So eventually, David had Uriah killed. And now he marries Bathsheba. Everything's good, right? He, he feels like that no one knows the real truth. And he's still going to church. He's still doing all that stuff. He thinks he's pulled the wool over everybody's eyes except God. And God, his heart is grieved. And he raises up a prophet by the name of Nathan. And he says, Nathan, I want you to go and I want you to go confront David. So Nathan goes and confronts David and says, you have sinned. And at that moment, David, he is broken. He starts crying. He starts, he starts God, I, you know, I shouldn't have done this. And he writes a psalm or a song that's found in the Bible. Listen to what Psalm 51 says. And what's so cool about this psalm is David is crying. He's pouring his heart out to God. He's broken. He knows he's messed up. He's, he's stopped trying to cover up his sin. He's, he's saying, I, I, you know, God knows it all. And listen to what David prays in Psalm 51, verse 10. He cries out to God and he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Remove a loyal, a, a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. And look at this next part that he prays. And don't take 
your Holy Spirit from me. Why is David praying that? Remember, God's Spirit in the Old Testament was what? Temporary. And when you disobey God, if God's presence was living in you, and that was a very rare thing, God would remove it. So he's praying, God, don't take your Spirit from me. Don't remove your presence living inside of me. And you know what? God listened to David's prayer and did not remove his presence. Why? The difference between David and Saul is David came clean with all of his junk, and Saul tried to hide it. And again, my encouragement for you today, again, maybe church isn't your thing, but as you try to find and you look for a place, one church is for people who is just like you, who don't try to cover up their junk, but just bring it all to God and say, God, I need you to create in me a clean heart. But let me tell you what we never, ever have to pray. We never, ever, ever have to pray Psalm 51, verse 11. We never, ever have to utter these words, God, do not take your spirit from me. Because something has happened between the Old Testament and the New Testament. You see, how God's spirit would dwell in you, in you kind of temporarily in the Old Testament, when Jesus showed up, And all throughout the New Testament, when someone begins a relationship with God, God lives in them, get this, permanently. That's that's, that's some good clapping, Donna. Come on now. Some of you are going, that's golf claps. I'm telling you. God, you see, that should be good news. Because, and the reason why it should be good news is you don't, you weren't good enough to get God's love. So he did something for you. That was two weeks ago. But today, you don't have to keep on being good so that you can keep his love. Because my Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that what can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord? Can death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor principalities, nor powers, nor anything under creation can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing can separate us. Not your sin, not your junk, not your habits, not your attitude, not your jacked up thoughts, not your jacked up actions, nothing. That if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, he knows you, and he doesn't have a bad memory. He will always remember you. Back to Colossians chapter 1. Y'all going to get me preaching this morning. Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read it from a different translation just so that you can bring out these nuances. This is verse 26. For ages and ages, this message was kept secret from everyone. It was kept secret from Samson and Saul and David and Gideon and that weird name, Othniel dude, right? But now has been explained to God's people. That's you and me. God did this because he wanted you to understand a wonderful and glorious mystery. And the mystery is that Christ lives in you. And he is your hope of sharing in God's glory. It is God in us. That God lives in us. That we can have hope. God gives hope for you and I this Christmas. God wants to give you hope in your hopeless situation. That you and I can find hope in the midst of desperate circumstances. Hope that will bring you glory and bring God's glory in your life. And that is hope. And and the mystery of this hope is that Christ lives in you. That God wants to be in your life 
and in every area of your life. The mystery of mysteries this Christmas is the incarnation of God. And let me explain that word incarnation. How many of y'all, the best way I can describe it is by using a chili illustration, like eating chili. How many of y'all like chili? All right, some of y'all going. All right. Chili con carne. Anybody know what con carne means? With meat. Exactly right. If you're eating chili con carne, you're eating chili with meat. Well, con carne is with meat. Let me tell you what incarnate, incarnate is. It's in meat. And when God becomes incarnate, it means God, God's spirit comes down and he puts on flesh. And he becomes like you and like me. You see, that is what Jesus did this Christmas. Is it was God incarnate, God with us, and he puts on flesh. He takes on blood. He, he has hair. He has eye color. He has a beard. He has feet. His feet smells. He's a person. He is, he's a human, 100% human, and 100% God. In fact, listen to what John writes in 114. I love this. Love this. This is so freaking cool. It's awesome. The Word became what? That's incarnate. The Word puts on flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Don't you like that? That Jesus shows up and says, I want to live where they live. I want to get on post. I, howdy, neighbor. That's right. I want to I wanna go into Hazelwood. I want to go to Exit 8. I want to go to Foxtrot. I want to go to on Madison Street. I, Jesus shows up, puts on flesh and blood, and he moves into the neighborhood, and we saw the glory. There's that word again, the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish, incarnate. God wants to live in you and in me. God wants to be in your life, and God wants to be in every area of your life. So as I close this morning, I want to give you, I want to give you a challenge, but I want to give you this challenge based upon two questions. Here's the first question. Is God in your life? Is God in your life? The, question, the first question I want to ask, is God really in your life? Do you have a relationship with God? And I know some of you say, Chris, you know, um, I'm not really a church person, not a religious I'm here because it's Christmas, and you'll see me at Easter. And that's cool. I totally get that. But I want you to hear me. That's religion, and that's not going to get you anywhere healthy. But let me tell you, God doesn't want to have religion with you. God wants to have a relationship, and he wants to be in you, in you and in me. Is God in your life? And if your answer is no, then I want to encourage you to begin that relationship with God today. Let me share, share with you just how that happens, and then we're going to ask this next question. You see, if you don't have a relationship with your Heavenly Father, you don't get it by saying, okay, i got to put this much in the offering plate. And then I'm good. It doesn't happen that way. It doesn't happen if you show up and, and you just say, if, you're, if you attend church so many times. It's not like when you go into a McDonald's and you're a Big Mac. It doesn't happen that way, does it? Right? You going to church doesn't make you a Christian anymore. You going to McDonald's makes you a Big Mac. 
right? Now, some of you, they say you are what you eat, so you might be a Big Mac. Just saying. That was more funnier in my head. Anyway, but you don't become a Christ follower by just going to church. Let me unpack how that happens. You become a Christ follower when you trust God and you put your faith in him and you ask him to get rid of all of your junk in your life, all that sin, all those addictions. God, I need to trust in you and will you please cover all of that? I'm trusting in you to do that and I want to have a relationship with you. Will you come live inside me? That if you just talk to God and you're real like that, he will listen and he will come in your life. Some of you, you need to do that. This past Friday, I got a text, um, and Fridays are usually my day off, and a uh, good friend texts me and says, hey, I, I need to chat with you. I'm like, okay. So we met, and he, as he was kind of talking about some of the stuff that was going on in his life, he said, you know, just last month, I began a relationship with God. And I was just like, oh my gosh, that's awesome, right? Because it's this one decision that really can change the course of your life. God living in you. Does God live in you? Do you have a relationship with God that happens through Jesus? All right. Let me go to this next question because the next question is going to apply to everybody, especially if you're a Christ follower in here. And, and, and here is this next question. Second question. If you have a relationship with God, if Jesus actually lives in you, then I want to challenge you with this statement. What areas of your life is God not in? What areas of your life is God not in? Just let that sit for a little bit. You see, right now you're thinking, okay, Sundays is kind of like my God time. And Monday, like through Friday, is that's my job time. And then Friday nights, that's my time. Saturday nights, it's probably my time as well. And then back to Sunday. And if that's the way you're thinking about your life, I would challenge you is that God may be in your life, but there are areas of your life that you are keeping from him. And that God doesn't want to just be in your life. He wants to be a part of every area of your life. If we're not careful, we begin to think of God as a Sunday morning God and our faith as a Sunday morning faith. And, and, and we don't allow Jesus in the area. We start thinking of God as a checklist. I went to church on Sunday. Check. And God wants to be more than a check mark. He wants to be something so much. Let me give you, I, I was having to do some Google stuff on this because I didn't know these statistics. The average American lives to be 80.1 years old. If you're in here and you're over 81.1, we love you and we're so glad you're here. Um, uh, you are over the national average. Some of you, you're like, okay, well, you know, I'm, some of you, you feel old this morning. I'm 43, right? And some of you are going, oh my gosh, that's old. Think about this. I'm just halfway there. You think I'm old, but I'm really not. I'm kind of in the, I'm in the mid-range. Some of you, if you're in your, your 50s, all right, you're, you're, you're getting closer, but you're not there. You still got a lot of living to do. But let me kind of break down 80.1 years because for most of us, we think of 80.1 years if you're in your 20s, that's, you know, that's a long time away. Let's unpack that. If you're 80.1 years old, that's the average age, 
you will have lived 217,308 days. All right, okay. That's a lot of days. Um, a lot of Mondays and a lot of m- rainy days that get me down. Um, anyway, let's keep on unpacking. What about weeks? Let's break that up into weeks, okay? 80.1 years breaks up into 4,179 weeks. Now, let me tell you, for most of us, if you just put God in your Sundays, guess what? You're going to have God in 4,179 parts of your life when you have 217,308 other days. God doesn't want to be part, he doesn't want to be one-seventh of your life. You hear me? He doesn't want to be a part one-seventh of your life, one-seventh of your time. God doesn't want to be a part of one-seventh of your relationships. God doesn't want to be a part of one-seventh of your money. God doesn't want to be a part of one-seventh of how you treat your wife. God doesn't want to be one-seventh of anything in your life. He wants to, doesn't want to be a part of your life. He wants to be in every area of your life, in every week that you spend on this earth. In every, he wants to be in every year of your life. God doesn't want to just be involved in your Sundays, in your Sunday life. He wants to be involved in your Monday life, in your Tuesday life, in your Wednesday life. He wants to be a part in every area of your life. Because if he's not Lord of all, if God is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all in your life. Let me explain it this way. Here's a picture for you. Somebody tell me what this is. I'm going to explain this, the difference between men and women, and I'm going to unpack this about you and you and I and God. Let me tell you, a guy, we can have a bad day at work, right? And when we get home, right, we can put on the Barry White music, right? Because we separate it. Everybody understand what I mean, Barry White? I'm going to unpack that. Hopefully I don't have to. All right. Because we, we, have, we segment our lives, don't we, Right? You can have a bad day at work, but you can come home and everything can be good. And you can have a bad day at home and you can go to work and everything can be okay. Let me tell you, a lady. I know, I know, I know some of y'all are thinking, be careful, Chris. I am. Here's the thing about a lady. Everything affects everything. All right? So if she has a bad day at work, when she comes home, you... <laughs> oh, my... But you speak the truth, all right? Because everything affects everything. Guys, we're not like that, right? Because we put our little, put the, the ice tray back up. Let me tell you, most of us, when it comes to our relationship with God, we're like guys. We're like, okay, God, here's your Sunday morning. Your little square. This is mine. Oh, in, in, in this little cube, oh, that's, that's, that's my money. And then this is my relationships. This is my friendships. Uh, these, uh, th- this is what I like doing on the weekends. And um, then there's this area right here that, you know, this is kind of what I do and kind of what I read and what I surf on the web. And, and then there's this area. And, and God, you stay right there. And all of these other cubes... God's not in. God doesn't want to be that way. How many of y'all ever filled up an ice cube tray? Probably all of us. When you take that ice cube tray 
and you turn on the water and you put it under one of the little cubes and you just hold it right there. Eventually that cube is going to what? Fill up and what's going to happen? It spills over. God wants to be so evident in your life. He wants to not be in your life so much that it spills over into every other area of your life because God doesn't want to just be in your life. He wants to be in every area of your life. And if you're here this morning, how you can apply this is what area, what areas of your life is God not in? What areas? Some of you, you're here and you're like, Chris, I'd love to give, but I am drowning in debt. I am thousands of dollars in debt. And I've been doing this this way in my life, and I've been separating this from God. And God's going, listen, this ain't going well for you. Why don't you try putting me in that? Because is, there, is that an area of your life that I'm not in? Others of you, it, it, it's your job. And, man, you're so ambitious and you're, you, I mean, you're so, you're wanting to get the three up and the three down. You're wanting to get the stripes. You're wanting to get the stars, whatever you want to get. Stars and stripes. I don't know. But whatever, you're, you're trying so much to get that title. And what started out as a healthy ambition has turned into an unhealthy addiction where you are spending more time with your buddies that you work around than your children. God's saying, that's an area of your life that I'm not in. Others, it, it's, it, it might be how, how you talk to people and how you bring coarse jokes into it. And you're just so, you're just, the way you talk is just, man, God's getting, listen, whatever is pure, whatever is noble, what is worthy, what is holy, I want you to think upon those things. And that's not happening. I want to be in that area of your life. In every area of your life. God wants to just show up in that little cubicle, and he wants to overflow into every other area. So what parts of your life is God not in? What does that look like to you? And how can you, this Christmas, this Christmas, how can you allow the God who is with us, the God who is for us, the God that wants to work through us, actually be in every area of your life. And in every conversation, and every time you spend time with that person, God wants to be in that relationship. That is God in us, through us, with us, and a God who is for us. And that same God longs to have a relationship with you and in every area of your life. Let's pray.